If you enjoyed this conversation, remember you can join us live on my Facebook page on Tuesday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next conversation. I'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review on your favorite platform. I love to hear from you. So be sure to leave a comment on this episode's show page at caraputman.com. And you can also interact with me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget, when you join my e-newsletter, I send you a copy of Dying for Love, the novella that launches the Hidden Justice series as my gift to you. Thanks again for tuning in. It's that time of year when the leaves and temperatures are falling and the book pile is calling. Time to cozy up by the fire with a great book or series. And the award-winning Deep Haven series presented by author Susan May Warren is the perfect escape. Readers have loved Susan's popular Deep Haven series, a town in beautiful Minnesota where everyone escapes for a second chance and a fresh start. This past year, she's partnered with three incredibly talented authors to create a new take on this beloved series. Deep Haven is getting a crisis response team because even Deep Haven has its share of trouble and the new season shares the stories of six couples who find love, as well as disaster, drama, heartbreak, and adventure in this exciting new series that has hit many bestseller lists. Most of all, they learn that in Deep Haven, there is no problem so deep that God's love isn't deeper. This fall, cozy up to the Deep Haven series. Go to www.sunrisepublishing.com for more information. And when you buy an audio or ebook from the website store, use BookTalk21 for 20% off all products through December. Hello, everyone. It is Tuesday night, and that means that I am here with my good friend, Jen Toronto, and I'm really excited to introduce you to her because her books are hilarious romantic comedies that are set during the Gilded Age. So I realized I had about three that are paper copies, and then the rest are on my Kindle, which is wonderful for taking them on vacation and reading them over and over. It's not so great for being able to show them to you, but Jen writes the most delightful, madcap, just really wonderful comedies um, with strong romance. And she's woven in some mystery for some of these, um, or some of her more recent titles. So I'm delighted to introduce you to her. And Jen, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. I am Jen Toronto. I am coming to you from Den outside of Denver, Colorado. And um, as Kara said, I write historical romantic comedies set in the Gilded Age, and they're published through Bethany House. And I've been doing it, my first book came out in 2012, and I brought it with me. I <laughs> loved that one. It was so much fun. So and much you know what? fun. And it's one of my favorite covers of all times because, well, it just is. And I don't know if you can see in the background, but there's kind of a shade behind me. And I bought that because obviously it's not red but it had the same look to it. So mm, 
And as Kara knows, I normally, this is my old office that I'm in. I currently write in a she shed in my backyard <laughs> because of COVID. And my husband started working from home at the beginning of COVID and I couldn't write. So um, there we have it. That's yeah. why I'm here. It's really not decorated very well. And, um, but I, I threw everything. So at least it's not, you know. Well, and so you've got to tell us, how did you come up with the idea for your first book and writing during the Gilded Age? Because it's not necessarily, especially in 2012, it wasn't necessarily like a super popular time period. And if you were published in 2012, that means the idea came to you earlier. So how did you stumble on that time period and go, this is where I'm going to make my mark? Um, so I started with um, The Gilded Age because I read this book, The Glitter and the Gold, um, about Consuelo and Alva Vanderbilt. And I don't know about you, but I never really learned anything about The Gilded Age when I was yeah. in school at all. I just, you know, I mean, you always saw like big mansions or whatever, but I never really realized that there was a term for it called The Gilded Age. And as soon as I read about Alva Vanderbilt, I was fascinated. So then I went and I got a book about Carolyn Astor and learned that she was, you know, the social queen bee of the times and that there was a rivalry. She, she hated Alva Vanderbilt. And so I just, the more I delved into that, there's just all this fodder for story. And, um, but I, but I didn't start off writing Gilded Age when I started um, writing historicals. I had written a regency. It was called um, A Marriage of Inconvenience. And that's the one that got me an agent who, um, it took me five years from the time I first started writing, which my first book I wrote was a middle grade book for my son. And it took me five years and uh, various genres and seven different manuscripts before I landed an agent. And so she signed me for that most inconvenient marriage. And um, it was, I think one of the big publishing houses, it was actually general market and one of the big publishing houses had wanted it. And but they wanted me to really naughty it up. And I said, no, I would not do that. And um, so my agent at the time, Mary Sue Seymour, she said, I could, I think I could sell you in the inspirational market. And, I'm, and I wasn't sure that she was right about that, Kara, because I have such an odd sense of, it's, it's, I have an odd writing style and the universe just out there. And so I said, well, I don't know, maybe I'm just not going to be a writer. And um, so when I, when I get bothered and I get stressed, I like to clean. So I was cleaning the bathroom and I was doing the shower and I put those scrubbing bubbles on the shower and I was waiting for them to clean. You know how you always hope oh, that yeah. that'll happen, but it never does. Yeah, it never works. But from out of nowhere, a change of fortune just sprang to mind. I mean, like the, the whole plot, I knew the characters, I knew everything. It was set in the Gilded Age. Um, and I said, huh. And so I'm really a little OCD when it comes to cleaning. So I couldn't stop cleaning. So I just grabbed post-it notes. And as I cleaned, I wrote all this stuff down. I just plastered them all over the walls. They were on the vacuum cleaners. They were on the mop. They were, you know, on the windows. They were just everywhere. And when I was done cleaning the house, luckily I numbered them, which was smart. I was yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, that would have been this amazing puzzle going around. Nope, like, not that one. What was that? And um, so I put them on my wall and I just sat down and my husband came home and he was like, I thought you weren't going to write anymore because it'd been a long journey, you know, yeah. and, and I had certain time goals and I was running out of the time goals. And I, I just had this idea. I, I have to write this. 
And so I did. I wrote it, and Mary Sue was like, I love this. And she sold it to Bethany House um, within the month. And so That's I've been awesome. writing in the Gilded Age ever since. But well, yeah. what, I, what I love about that is it's kind of similar to when I wrote Canteen Dreams, which was my first um, book that sold, the second book that I wrote. And I was at ACFW. I met Tracy Peterson and her husband who were the acquiring editors for Heartsong Presents. And I'd always said, I'm never going to write for Heartsong Presents, famous last words. And right. then I started talking to him and I love World War II history. And I knew these stories about what had really happened in Nebraska. And I said, would you be interested in something like this? And literally while I'm at ACFW in the shower, the idea for Canteen Dreams drops in my head. And I went, okay, God, then I'm going to chase that. I'm going to see what happens. And that was my first book that sold. And it won, you know, the ACFW book of the year and all of that. And it was one of those, I'm like, I'm never going to do that. But I, I didn't have post-it notes all over my house. Yeah, well, I did have post-it notes over the, the house. And uh, good thing I did, because it, it didn't take me long to write that. I mean, I wrote this book, it was the fastest I've ever written yeah. any books that I've actually published. Um, and I wrote it in three weeks. And um, oh, that's awesome. Wasn't that great? Yeah, I wish I could do that these days. But you know, yeah. once you actually get those contracts and then you have all that editing and stuff, it doesn't happen. But um, yeah, so that's how I did it. And then, um, so Rayla Shane here is my editor. She has been my editor since the first book came out. And she really wanted me to stay within the New York 400 high society um, and just. And to, and to give it like the upper crust, so to speak. So sometimes I've tweaked that a little bit. You know, I've sent them to Chicago. I've yeah. sent them to Newport. You know, once I did send one to Colorado, but that was clear back. That was um, a match of wits. And I had gone, because I live in Colorado, I had gone up into the mountains and I found this super cute little town. I was like, this would be perfect. And I had this whole idea. And, and then Rayla was like, we really want you to stay in New York, high society. So you can be in Colorado, but only for six chapters. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'll take that compromise. So one of the questions that I asked people who are watching is what is their favorite Jen Toronto book? And I think you're going to enjoy some of these comments because Cicely says, oh, that's a hard one. It's got to be caught by surprise in the series it's from. And then Nina's like after a fashion or playing a part, which are both really fun. And then Joy has said, probably a diamond in the rough but I think what's so interesting is that all of us are having a hard time picking a favorite because for me it would probably be the last book I've read from you which is this one to write a wrong which came out at the beginning of this month or the end of July right it came out um, August 3rd okay um, yeah so it it's did. so much fun and I think I know you wrote this during COVID and we'll talk about that too but She's an author. Did you have fun getting an author into trouble? You know, I've always wanted to write an author. I do have an author in another book, The Hero. That might be playing the part, maybe. Does he live in a castle? I don't know. I don't remember my stories. It's really bad. Well, you know, you hit a point where you've written enough of them that they do kind of merge together. Or I'll be like, okay, The Hero did this and that one, but what was his name? That's the part that I always have to struggle with is, what did I call that one? And then I've learned, my daughter has pointed out to me that I really like the last name Turner because I have like three families and three different books that all had the last name Turner. And she's like, so are they related? 
you know, my maiden name is Turner. Well, there you go. They're related to you somehow. They're all related to me. All of your characters are related to me, Kara. All of them. How, small world. Such a it small is world. a small world. But it was fun writing um, Daphne. And she does, she does possess some of my quirks. I mean, those are definitely me. Like the opening scene. I was outside my like allergies. I'm sorry? You dressed up like a pirate? You know, um, I have dressed up. I have not dressed up like... A, a pirate before but I have like there's a reason I have a pirate in the story and there's a reason I have a pirate dog those are all um I did have a one-eyed dog before um but like her the whole thing on the on the front if you notice there's a lot of people miss this but she's throwing mm -hmm. a, a one and a piece of paper in the air and that is definitely one of my quirks because when I do like when I finish the first draft, I don't know about you, but I print it out. That's how I catch even more things. I do seven edits when I do a manuscript before I turn it into the first time to my editor. Seven edits? I do seven because, well, I get funnier as I edit. So okay. when, like my first, my first go through, there might be a little humor in there, but it's like things don't strike me. Like they're really quirky it comes later on in the other edit so I do seven for some reason seven works for me and then I print it out and then I read it one final time and that's when I like I crumple up a lot of paper because I still find stuff and I do throw myself on the floor like on top of those and I'll do the whole putting the hand over the head and I stare at my ceiling <laughs> I love it and it's so yeah. fun when there are those little moments you can slide in some of personality like for me um, one of my characters has a Wonder Woman Lego keychain. That's what my work keys are on. You know, I'm on my Okay. Yeah. You, you have to slide in those little things. And um, sometimes some of my readers will catch stuff like they'll have heard me speak somewhere. And then they'll be like, you know, is that why you put that in there? You know, um, I've been trying to figure out there was one time. So this is kind of a funny story. I was working retail. I majored in fashion and I was working retail. And um, so I had gone, I love to go out on the floor and I was managing this department store. For a while I was a buyer and then I managed a department store. So I'd love to go out and interact with the customers. And I was getting the weirdest reaction ever from these men. And they kept coming up because I was running a register. They kept coming up and they wouldn't look me in the eye, Kara. And <laughs> they were like rushing out of the store. <laughs> So this woman comes in and she was a very good customer and her name was Donna. And so I'd lean over and I go, Donna, I have a tip for you. We're getting in this new line of DKNY. It's coming in on Tuesday. Do you want to come in and see it early? And she's like, sure. And then she leans closer to me, Karen. She goes, Jen, I have a tip for you. She's like, the hem of your skirt is tucked into the back of your pantyhose. <laughs> so... <laughs> One of your Gilded Age heroines is sent, I think it was to Chicago and ends up working in retail. Is that why? Oh, that's why you have like, that's why I have a lot of department stores in my books. Like yeah. um, after a fashion was really created. It's got one, I think that one has, is that Arthur Rutherford and he actually owns a department store. Yeah. And a lot of the interior of that department store is based on, I worked for this company called Stone and Thomas. And I started working there when I was in high school. And then I got to go down to the big store in Wheeling, West Virginia, and it had this, like the cool old, you know, the old fashioned molding, and they had the tea room, and 
Oh, and okay. I worked for another department store in New York, um, Adam Elderman Anderson. And there's a, one of my books, there's a, a scene with an elevator with, you know, it's got the lever and you can operate it. And so somebody said, well, that would never have happened. Well, because I was having a mic going really fast. It does. I know that because I did it. And um, so that's why I threw that in there too, because those elevators are hilarious. And like the grates, you know, you pull them shut and sometimes they do get stuck. And sometimes you get it, if you don't use that lever just right, you're going to get stuck yeah. in between floors. And that has happened too. So, yeah. but, but you will find one of my heroines in the near future getting the back of her ham stuck in her bustle. Mm -hmm. Oh, how funny. Yes. I, I, that doesn't surprise me at all, though, because bustles, I mean, the guy who came up with that was a, you know, just a sadist because oh. and obviously he was like, we're going to put women in their place by making them wear these big things on their butts where they can't move around. And, oh, I just and you know, and they're very, like, why well, I had to, and one of my, um, I think it was cost, historical costume class that I had to take. And I am not a great seamstress. I'm just going to put that out there. And I had to take all these classes like advanced tailoring and I was always like the person who put the interface on the on the right side of the fabric instead of the wrong. But I have actually made I've made a corset and I've made a bustle and um, <laughs> they are painful and I'm sure that mine were more painful because I adapted <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I was at a, a historical writers retreat one time that Tracy Peterson had put together and Deanne Gist was doing a how to dress, you know, your Victorian lady. And she actually put a corset on me. And I went, oh, my posture is so much better. And it was, it was fun, but I'm like, I cannot imagine living in that all the time. That was oh, just I a know. torture incident. So you know, I, I, you know, I, saw, I saw a video with Deanne one time where she did everything. Like she put on everything and they filmed it. I'm gonna have yeah. to look at that one again, because that was great, that was fascinating. It is fascinating and all the layers and all the different details. And I'm like, yeah, my decision is which top to put with which skirt and away I go. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, shoes, but that's not very exciting. So um, someone said you dressed up in a banana, like a banana. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? That was, that was at the beginning of COVID and I was like, so Dominic, so I have one son, Dominic, and he is out of college. He's an engineer. He just moved a couple of days ago to Minneapolis. I saw that. Yeah. Yes, I was sobbing as he drove away. But you know, I'm good with it now. He's fine. You know, he's an adult. He, you know, and, and he did tell me I can come every other month. I can fly up there. So I'm good. But so I was clean. He he calls himself a minimalist, but it's only because he's dumped off his stuff here. So like his place is, you know, great. So I had gone down to the basement because again, it's COVID and it's weird. It's the beginning of COVID. It's weird times. It's just me and Al. And, you know, so Al was up, he had set up his office in like our main bedroom because it has a view of the mountains. And so he's up there and I just couldn't get into the writing group. So I'm going through all Dominic's stuff and I found this banana costume. So I put it on. <laughs> I showing up behind Alec, he would be on these Zoom things and all of a sudden you would just see this banana walk. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. He thought I'd lost my mind, but. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, this is just living with Jen. But yeah. this is one of the things I love. And the fact that it takes seven edits to get to the layer of humor that you have in your books, actually in a strange way makes me feel better because I any humor in mine is so accidental. It's, it's not even funny, but your books and the humor that is in them 
has become something that I actually not rely on, but I have found such comfort in. I was telling you this a few minutes ago that there have been times where for whatever reason, I just couldn't find joy. And I would know when I read your books, I would be laughing out loud. And that would be like that little crack in the wall that would then let me kind of rediscover joy. And I think that's why you know, romantic comedy is actually so important because it allows people to reconnect with you know, the really important emotions of joy and just being silly. I mean, some of your humor is just plain silly and that's so needed. So how did you write that when the world has been so chaotic? And I don't know about you, but it's it has been a challenge to push through and write during COVID because of all the external chaos. And mm -hmm. so how'd you do that? Well, because this is still a really funny book. If there's you know, so much really <laughs> It was really difficult. I had, um, so I had finished up the first book, To Steal a Heart. I do have that copy. So this is the first book, To Steal a Heart. And I had actually, luckily, I had finished this up before COVID hit. So all I had to do was, well, I had to do like all the developmental edits and everything on this book, but at least the bare bones was there. Um, so well, this was, well, this book was sent off to the editors so that they could, you know, give me this fabulous suggestions on everything I'd written wrong. Um, I started to write it wrong and then COVID hit. And um, it was really tough because Al's company, they were really aggressive about, we're not bringing everybody into the office. You know, so this was like beginning of March, he was working from home and we, you know, at that time, Kara, I mean, I don't know about you, but we thought, okay, well maybe it's gonna be like four months, maybe yeah it's going to be a blip in the realm of our lives yeah you know it'll it'll be fun but i still was having difficulty because i have certain conditions that i need to write in and it's it's mostly i need to be by myself i and i was always writing right here in this office and nobody can be in the house and then i have certain things that i do um if i get stuck i still pull out the vacuum like vacuuming i just need mindless activities or i walk through the house and i talk to myself and i talk to the characters or um, you know, and I love to put on music and I'll sing and it's just because it's mindless, but when I was on conference calls, I can't, I couldn't do that, you know? So it was like the first draft of to write a wrong. I didn't think I thought was the most horrible book I'd ever written in my life, you know, with that. And then we had, and then I just, I had, I had a lot of meltdowns with that because th there was one time. So all of my standard go-to, if I'd written myself in a cor corner, all of those things were gone. And so I, I couldn't figure out how to get out of this one chapter. And so I told Al, I said, if you hear me singing, just ignore me. So I put on these big Bose headphones. I mean, it's just like the biggest nerd ever. And I'm in this office and I'm listening to vintage Madonna, I think borderline. And I'm singing and I'm bebopping around this room and I look at the doorway and Al's standing there. I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, well, that was Did just. You know, this is my creative process. This is just yeah. how we do things. Um, and he goes, well, that was just too adorable. And I'm like, well, I'll show you adorable. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. She said, like the next day. And so once I once we got that built, and that was a process inside in, in of itself because you couldn't find sheds were like in hot demand. Like yeah. everybody was. And it's just a garden shed. So we finally found one. 
we had to have someone come out and pour like a cement pad in the backyard, clear at the back of the of our house. And then we had to find somebody to build it. And so we couldn't find anybody to build the inside. So Al and the neighbors did that. And Al and I are incredibly home improvement challenged. <laughs> but it's super adorable. But once I got out there, Kara, then I could, I did like start like, things started like, you know, shoveling the backyard with the snowstorm so I could go to work. Like that struck me as hilarious, you know? So then I would get in a better mood and then it was like, okay, I can do this. And um, it, it got you back in that mindset of, okay, here's my space. I can work. I can do this. And yes, yes. Yeah, it, was, so, it was chaotic when everybody comes home. And fortunately for me, I only had, we came home at spring break. And then by August, I was back on campus because I was teaching face-to-face -face all of last year. But it was hard to be creative during that time period because all four kids were home and Eric was working from home. And I'm like, I have this home office that's now been invaded and yeah. I couldn't go to campus. And I was like, ah, so yeah. it was, it, you know, wants to know, do you vacuum the she shed? I do. Well, you know what? I have one of those um, orbit things. Yes, that, you right know the, body so thing? her name is Rosie. And so from the Jetsons, because is that like so Jetson or what? Right? Remember Rosie the robot on the Jetsons cartoon? So her name is Rosie and she's just out there. And she, she just does her thing. And, and I have a little feather duster I dust. And I will like, I will, the next time you have me on, I will try to go from the she shed because I'll get that. I did buy a Wi-Fi extender um, and I was going to plug it in yesterday so I could do it from my she shed. But then I read the directions, Kara, and it said, you have to plug it in first in whatever room your router is. And again, it's like 100 degrees here. So I just didn't have it in me to walk across the yard. Come into the house. Yeah, it's been crazy. So you've got your she shed and yes. you have killed your characters and resurrected them. I did. So what's next? Because to write a wrong, which just came out in August, is so much fun. But You've got one more book in this series. And then what are you going to do next? I mean, the Gilded Age, there are so many stories. It's too bad you couldn't set something like at the Biltmore because that's really kind of fun. Well, but you know what? I will hit the Biltmore. Um, it was just, it was built ooh, 19. It was 1885-ish, so like wasn't it? You know what? It's, it's a little bit later than where I am right now. Like right now, I think this book is, is it 1887? And they might have been, it was one of the older. Yeah, 1887. Is that what it was built? Okay, yeah. so um, so the Biltmore was, was being built a little bit later than where I am right now. So, but I do have plans to, to go to have something around the Biltmore. Um, so I have, this is, so this is Daphne's story. I actually have a book someday. There's a World War II story at the Biltmore you know, that I want to write. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but it's on my well, research shelf. Well, look and see when it is, because I swear it's like right around, I wanted to say like 19 when? 1888, it looks like. 1888, okay. Because so, I just remember going there and seeing the swimming pool, and this will show you that I write romantic suspense, because I'm looking at this in-ground swimming pool that has electric lights in like the 1890s and going, well, that's a good way to kill someone. Ooh. Yes, because water, electricity, 
late 1800s and like they couldn't have gotten it all right they couldn't have and you know to prove that point Kara my neighbor is an electrician but I didn't have they were debating on how to get electric into my shed which um, I still need to do right now it's just got this big like one of those heavy duty you know professional extension cords because we can't find anybody to dig the ditch right well my neighbor is an electrician and I don't think He's probably not watching this, so I can tell you this. But I was a little hesitant to even consider him because he put a goldfish pond in his backyard. <laughs> Those goldfish were like the cutest. <laughs> but it was so funny because the first time we were there, I walked through and I went, I'd kill someone in there. Oh, and I'd you totally, know totally make it a, a murder mystery. So Corky wants to know, and this okay. is actually a fantastic question. How do you come up with your great character names? Because they are a hoot. So how do you come up with all of those? Um, you know what? I do a lot of, I pour through old obituaries from like the 18, normally I go like 1860s because then I figured my characters are going to be in their twenties in the 1880s. So I go through those and then I shake down my friends when they're looking into their, <laughs> they do ancestry.com and case in point, temperance flower do. I get so much grief from people about temperance flower dew, like that, that I made up that name. And I don't, like, I don't make up any of the names at all. They're all actually historically accurate. They might be obscure names, but they were around in the, in the, 18, in the 1800s, right? So temperance flower dew came about because one of my girlfriends from high school, Sonia West, she was looking into her ancestry and she found on her family tree that one of her great, 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 great grandmothers was named Temperance Flower Joe. And she told me that. And I said, can I, may I have can her? That? Yeah. And she said, she's like, of course you may have her use her. And then she goes, I also have a Mercy Minor. So Mercy Minor's in that same book. I had to use that one too. And then Miss Lucetta Plum from Playing the Part, I was writing that book and a writer friend of mine, Rick, had called me, we were discussing the chapter and, and uh, it's a different Rick than the ACFW Rick. So okay. this Rick and I are discussing this chapter and I said, you know, my hero is Isaac, is giving me the hardest time ever. <laughs> he goes, you know, Jen, every time I hear the name Isaac, I think of Isaac from the love boat. <laughs> well, it ruined the name for me. And because every time that I would go to type Isaac after that conversation, I would see Isaac from the love boat. Boston society, right? So he's got these. So I'm like, pull out that, pull out that research you've been doing, babe, because not only do you owe me a, yeah, I'm like, you owe me a hero, but to make you pay for that love boat theme going through my head, you got to give me a heroine too. So his, one of his ancestors, he gave me Everett. And then another one of his ancestors was Lucetta Plum. So I'm like, perfect. So that's how I get some of my names. That's awesome. And um, Nina wanted to know, what about the dollar heiresses? So I don't remember what series that is. Oh. But I guess you're, you would get all your names the same way, wouldn't you? I do. I do. And yeah. so I think she's talking about the American heiress series. And that would have been um, like Flights of Fancy, Diamond in the Rough. And what was yeah, the third? These are so fun. 
So what was funny. the third book in that one? Was that like, was that caught by surprise? I think it might have been the one with the where she's sitting in the boat, maybe. That yeah, was also, that was out of the ordinary. That's a different series, oh. but I can't remember what series it is. I don't know. But Diamond in the Rough is one of my favorite books yeah. that I've written. Poppy this Garrison is, is one of my favorite characters. I yeah. love Poppy Garrison. She um she was the character who so I wanted to do an American Aristos, but like and you know, Carol, like to keep to keep everything fresh, you can't have. I didn't want to have all the heiresses be New York High Society. So I wanted to bring in at least one character who did not travel in New York High Society, but found herself thrust into high society. And that was Poppy Garrison. She was so, so she fun. was great to write because you could just like throw her into any situation. And of course she wasn't going to react well because she'd never been in high society. So yeah. Well, and then you have one where she ends up working on like a farm. Okay, so that's Flights of Fancy. So that one, I thought it would be hilarious to have an heiress. So I had read, um, so the whole reason I got into the Gilded Age was because of Consuela and Alba Vanderbilt. And poor Consuela Vanderbilt, she um, was very sheltered and her mother Alva decided that, so Alva divorced William K. Vanderbilt and it was quite the scandal. Quite that the would scandal. be quite scandalous back then. Oh my. Yes. And she had really like barreled her way into New York High Society. And as, as I mentioned before, she was at odds with um, Carolyn Astor. And so what happened in 1883, um, I can't remember what book I, oh, behind the scenes, you have that book. Yes. It actually opens up at Alva Vanderbilt's fall. And so this is when, this book right here is when New York High Society really starts changing because um, Alva Vanderbilt, she could not get, even though they were some of, they, that was one of the wealthiest families in the country, they could not get into, Carolyn Astor wouldn't let them into high society. So Alva came up with a plan and she built this beautiful house uh, on like six, it was at 663, 6-6 something, Fifth Avenue, and it was this gorgeous house and completely different than the brownstones that like um, all of the elite had been living in, which was kind of like bland, huge, and they had a lot of money, but they weren't showing. So she builds this huge house and she decides to hold this ball and she was going to hold it. I believe she held it after Easter, which is actually after the normal season. Huh. When everybody so, usually is leaving the city. Yes. So everybody wanted to go. Well, Carolyn Astor's daughter, Carrie, was was learning how to do this quadrille, the star quadrille. And well, hmm, Alva was so sorry. But well, Carrie, she she couldn't invite them to the ball because Carolyn Astor had never paid a call on her mm -hmm. and to accept her into high society. So the story goes that Carolyn Astor was basically forced to, and she never actually went into there's there's a fiction book out right now about Carolyn Astor and um Alva Vanderbilt. But that's one part that it's actually wrong because Carolyn never actually went into Alva's house. She had her coachman drive her up. He went and delivered her calling card, which was all, which was actually quite common back then when you call yeah. them people, you didn't actually visit with them. And that gave Alva entrance into high society. So um, fascinating. Isn't that so cool? But yeah. um, no, and, so and that's where. I don't know about you, but when I'm doing research and I find those kinds of things, it's just gold. That's where you're like, okay, oh. 
there's so much I can do with this and so much I can do with the characters that are going through this and it just makes it fun. So as we wrap up though, cause our time's already up. Can you believe I know, it? wow, that's like crazy. It is, it goes so fast and it's so much fun. But um, Beth dropped into the comments, her grandmother's name and it was Farrell Kelly. So you'll have to ask Beth if you can borrow that one, but it's those names from, you know, back three, four generations, they are, they're just so fun to dig into and see because who would have they thought? Are. And I'm always on the lookout for, for names. So anyone who is watching this, you can send me a message, you know, on my Jen Toronto Facebook page, or I'm also on Instagram. I don't really understand Instagram. So I'm just putting that out there. I was lucky to actually catch <laughs> Kara, I actually sent her a message and I was like, wow, that actually went through. So um, I'm not yeah. on Facebook or you can just send me a message. And That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's always just a blast to get to talk with you and love your books. To Write a Wrong was fabulous and so enjoyable. I highly recommend it. But frankly, I can't pick a favorite Jen Toronto book because they're all so good. And the comedy and the romance is just pitch perfect. So thank well, you thank so much you, for joining us. And I, will tell, I forgot to tell everybody, next up will be just to disguise the truth. That comes out in January. And then after that, I'm writing a matchmaker series. That's what I'm writing right oh. now. So oh, that'll be so much fun. You know what? I decided to go really light because this series is more mystery. <laughs> but I'm definitely, this This next series is going to be working. Oh, that's so fun. Well, thanks again for joining us. And next week, we'll have Terry Ferris here. So I hope you all can come back and join us for the next book talk. Welcome to Book Talk with Kara Putman. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Kara Putman, the award-winning, best-selling author of more than 30 novels. I write romantic legal suspense and World War II romance, but I read voraciously. Each week, I'll introduce you to one of my favorite author friends as we talk books, writing, and life. Be sure to check back frequently for new episodes.